This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to read from verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. It's it's talking about a prophecy of the new covenant and what is to come. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. One thing about God is God is always interested in relationship with us. And because of that, he's always looking for proximity. God is always looking to create a space an abiding for where he can be, an abiding space for his presence. Ever since man sinned and there was a separation between God and man, God has always been looking for the opportunity to put himself in amongst who we are so that he can have proximity and we can have access to presence. He, he, in the Ark of the Covenant, he was creating a space so that he could move into that place. And as they took the Ark with them, God would be with them. The temple that was built by Solomon, he was creating a space so that his presence could move into that and that he, that people could have access to his presence. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the new covenant and what's happening. And Jesus is going to make provision for us for the fact that he's going to do something on the inside of us. He's going to make us brand new. He's going to give us a new heart. And what he's doing is he's creating a new abiding space for who he is. He's creating a place for him to abide and for his presence to come and to move in. We're in the old covenant. It used to be that he was with us. Now he's looking for an opportunity to be a, a God who is in us. The challenge that I think that we have very often as the church is that what we do is we encourage people to be born again. And that's a good thing. We need to get people born again. It's a very healthy thing because it it creates the opportunity for a person to move to a space where they can experience the abiding presence. The problem with it is this. I think what's happened in some instances is that we've lost our focus and we've lost our balance a little bit. We're so focused on being born again that while we've put our focus and our attention on the temple. There was a reason that I was born again. And the reason that I was born again, the reason that I was given a new heart, the reason that I was given a new spirit so that is so that I could become an abiding place for him. I become a temple so that, and he says in the second part, so I can put my spirit in you. Being born again is so important because being born again creates us and positions us as a temple. But we don't just live celebrating the temple. The temple is only as good as the presence that's on the inside of it. Everything that you've done up until the point where you're born again, where you get born again, gets washed away. And you become a brand new creation in Christ. But your future is not because you're a temple. Your future is because you host the presence of the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us. So our focus needs to shift and we need to become aware of the fact that the reason we've become a temple is because he's put his life inside of me. And everything that he wants to do for me from this point onwards is going to come from that space. Are you with me this morning? Yes. 
Are you sure? We don't get a cereal box because we like the box. We buy the cereal box because of the contents. We like the... Frosted Flakes. Flakes. (laughs) And we like the Cheerios. We don't get it for the container. You get it for the contents. You don't buy the can for the can. You buy it for the contents. It's the baked beans. It's the tuna. It's the contents that's important. You don't become a temple because you're a temple. If you ever go to Rome, you can go and have a look at at St. Peter's. It's the most awesome place. It's incredible. The thing about it is it's not about the temple. It's about the presence. The reason that he created you as a temple is so that he could put his presence on the inside of you. I'm wonderful and I'm thrilled and I'm delighted about the fact that you've been born again. Because what ended up happening is it created an opportunity for me to host the presence. He's moving into that space. He didn't just do something in you to leave you as you are. He did something on the inside of you so he could put his spirit inside of you. The spirit of Christ inside of us. The thing about temples is this. Temples are sacred. Temples are put aside for a particular reason. And the thing is, when we got born again, what happened is we became righteous. You became righteous and you also became holy. They're separate things. You see, righteousness is a claim to be morally perfect, to be morally upright, to be without sin. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus created a righteousness on the inside of us. He created an opportunity for us to host the presence because the presence isn't moving into a place where there's any sin. That was the problem that we had. That's what Jesus did for us. He created a space so that righteousness prevailed. There was no sin in that space. It was morally perfect. And in that place, God could sit and say, fine, as a result of righteousness, I can put my presence inside there. But the reason he put his presence inside there is so that you would be holy. The difference between righteousness and holiness is righteousness is a claim to be morally perfect. It's a claim to be without sin. Holiness puts us at a place where we are entitled and we are expecting to move into that place. You are entitled to move into that that space. So what ends up happening is when the presence moves on the inside of us because we are righteous, the call is to be holy like I am holy. What he's saying is the invitation is for the presence that's come on the inside of you to invade your life. So that every part of who you are begins to take on the character and the nature of the presence that's moved in. He wants to do something in us. What's so wonderful about God is the fact that he never leaves us who we are, the way that we were. But it's dependent on us to recognize the fact that we're hosting him. And do we give that the due recognition that we should? I think for a lot of churches, what ends up happening is we continually call people to be born again, but we never teach them about the abiding presence that rests on the inside of them. Born again is fundamental, but your future rests on your ability to build relationship in a meaningful way with his presence, which is inside us. It's his presence that connects us to God. If we want to know God, it's important that the Spirit of Christ both indwell us 
and invade us. The indwelling comes when I get born again, but the invasion comes as I become sensitive to it, as I become aware of the fact that the greater one lives inside of me, where I live in a place where it's like I want to get to know and understand him. There have been some interesting things for me that have happened in the last few months. And what God has been showing me is that I think we've made Christianity about so many other things other than who he is. And it's taken on a complexion in many instances that's completely outside of the realm of what really Christianity is all about. I like to keep things simple because it helps me because I'm a simple person. And so I don't like things that are particularly complex because I don't know how to do it. Kathy and I often laugh about the fact that like when I was a training center, I, I just used to ask basic questions because I need to understand those things. Because when I can understand what I'm doing, it positions me in a place where I recognize what my responsibility is and how I can move in that direction. And I've begun to understand that for me, the, the gist of Christianity, the goal, the objective, the essence of Christianity is to have a full comprehension and realization of the abiding presence of Christ inside of me. Everything comes from that place. The objective that I have is to move to a space where more and more I begin to recognize it and begin to live from relationship with his presence inside of me. It takes precedent over everything else. God has moved inside. God has moved inside. We want to experience him and we want to know him. And in our journey to do that, Sometimes we're a little better at getting stuff done than at other times. So here's my horror story. It's not that bad, Rafa. (laughs) They're worse ones. So three days a week, I I go to the gym. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Because I've got to keep the body moving and well-oiled and all the rest of it. I'm too old to think I'm ever going to end up like Atlas. And I have no aspiration to do that. As long as I keep things moving and I, I kind of lose a few calories and I keep everything well-oiled, I'm happy. Amen. So, But while I've been at the gym, I've met this guy. And I won't tell you what his name is. Um, not that you know him, but he may hit. <laughs> well, he wouldn't know who it is anyway. But he, he, he's such a nice guy. He's in his mid-70s. And so he comes almost every day. He's a bit of a diehard. And the thing is, it's, it's, I have to, ha- when I stand next to him and I, I chat, it's a little bit like me standing next to the pillar and talking because he's six foot five. And so there's a big disparity and we chat about things. But he's a diehard at 75. He still does 45 minute cycling. And then he goes and works out the, and with weights and stuff for 45 minutes. So, I mean, he's like, he's, he's impressive. And so he was telling me about the fact that he's had so many issues with his leg and his leg has been bothering him. And what ends up happening is with regularity he has to go to the doctor and for the doctor to look at it. And every few years, what they do is they end up giving him um, shots 
to sort everything out. And he said, he's due for more shots. And he's telling me about his story and he's telling me about the leg and he's telling me about the shots and he's telling me about the doctor. And all of a sudden, in amongst all of the telling, I heard God say, pray for him. Come on now. Woo! Now, Rafa, this told you this isn't a good story. <laughs> we haven't got to the bad part yet. This is the good part. And I heard God say, pray for him. And you know, and you know what? I never did. I know. Okay, thanks a lot. As if I didn't feel bad enough. I'm trying to tell you a story here because I, I want you to understand that as I put myself on the altar, <laughs> I know I'm making you feel bad now. But I want you to understand because it's a very real example of how we position ourselves to experience God and how sometimes we lose out on things. And I never did. And I left there, and it was, it's bothered me ever since. And it's like, so I've been spending some time thinking about the exercise, thinking about what, what was it about that, and what are the learnings that I could get from that. And the one thing was this. I began to realize the fact that I, it was a reaffirmation for me that I was very happy about the fact that I could hear his voice. Yeah. I heard the invitation. I heard the invitation. And I began to think about, you know, one of the challenges that we have so often is that we don't always recognize the voice of God. And what ends up happening is that it's become so important for us to be able to hear God because if we can't hear God, what ends up happening is we don't know what to do with things. The way God speaks to me is God gives me random ideas, random thoughts just come to me. And the thing is, I know that they're God because they are divine interruptions. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. This is why understanding the difference between the brain and the mind is important. The brain is this thing you have in your head right here. It's an organ. And basically all of your senses connect to this. Okay. Your mind is who you are as a spirit being. What feeds your mind is your brain or God or both. Okay. So this is, this is how I know it's God. And so this might be a practical way to actually be helpful to you. I'm busy and I'm talking to him and he's talking to me. And because he's talking to me, what is engaged? My brain. Because he's talking, so I'm listening. I'm looking. My senses are involved. I'm in the moment. I'm in the story. I'm in the reality. I'm engaged in the natural realm at this moment. Everything's happening. I'm hearing what he's saying. I'm looking at the leg. And all of a sudden, while all of the stuff is happening, while I'm down my natural road journey, bang, out of the blue comes pray for him. So Never came from my brain. Why? Because my brain's busy with the senses. My brain's busy listening. My brain's busy watching. My brain's engaged. My mind in the middle of my, of my brain doing a whole bunch of stuff said, um, I have a divine interruption. Hello. And out of nowhere pops, bang, there's a thought. The problem we have so often is that I think God speaks to you the same way. And what we very often do is we discount it because we think it's me. It must be me that said that. It's not you. You were in the moment. <laughs> you were engaged in doing something. If you, what, what often helps me realize whether it's God or not is that very often I find I'm doing something and so I'm on my journey of doing something when bang, this thing comes in from left field. Where did it come from? It came from my mind, my spirit. God spoke something to my spirit, yeah. 
And bang, the, the, the mind said, wham, here you go. If ever you get something coming into you from left field, chances are pretty good it's God. Pretty good it's God. So God begins to speak to us in different ways. You see, we use words to communicate ideas. But the language of the kingdom is light. Saltite. We use words to build an understanding of an idea. Okay? God uses light to illuminate an idea and to reveal truth to us. So here's the difference. Let me give you an example. If I said to you right now, dog, everybody's got an idea of a dog, and you're probably all completely different. If I said, it's a big dog. Okay, now everybody's adjusting their image of what I'm talking about to big and to canine, because I'm building an image. It's a big black dog. It's a big black dog that's got a red collar on it. It's a big black dog with a red collar on it that's snarling and growling and it's got all kind of saliva hanging from the... Okay, you got a picture. What happened? I used words to build an understanding of an image I wanted to communicate to you. Okay? We use words. God uses light. Let me show you. Instead of going and describing it to you, this is what God does. He'll show you this. Woo! My dog. Okay? What happened? I didn't have to describe anything. Something popped up, and you looked at it, and in a moment you knew. I didn't have to describe anything. If I said to you, it was a black dog, you'd say, no, it wasn't. How do you know? Because I saw it. It was an aggressive dog. No, it wasn't. How do you know? I saw it. You see, God speaks to us when he illuminates stuff to us. God illuminates truth to us. He doesn't sit and try to explain it to us. And very often we miss the things of God because we're looking for an explanation. And God says, I'm not here to explain things. I'll illuminate it to you. I will give you something. And that's why he reveals it. We call it revelation knowledge. What is it? I saw something. I want to read to you um, Ephesians 1 verse 18. I'm going to read it out of the Passion. And it says this, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. Okay, now I want to take this somewhere, just listen to this. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is sometimes where we find it a little bit, it gets a little bit tricky for us. You see, we use words for understanding's sake. God uses words for faith's sake. When people talk to us, we use as our barometer, whether I get it or not, my understanding. God's not interested in your understanding. God's interested in your faith. Abraham didn't understand how he was going to have a child. 
He wasn't moved by, gee, I understand it. Thank you, God, for explaining it to me. Now I've got it. He was moved by a confidence on the inside of him that said, I will be a father of many nations. He didn't understand it. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he lived because of the confidence that God had put on the inside of him. When God illuminates revelation, it's not for your understanding. It's to build your faith. It's to build your faith. It doesn't matter. The problem very often is I think we miss the things of God because we try to understand them and we think God's trying to do something up here in my brain. In the meanwhile, God's not interested in your brain. He's interested in who you're becoming. He's interested in feeding your faith. There are things that God wants to do in your life that has nothing to do with whether you understand it or not. It has everything to do with whether you believe for it or not. He's feeding your faith with what he's illuminating to you. He's not here to build your understanding. It blows us away because we can't understand that. In our humanity, we're always looking for understanding. In God's economy, he's all about, he's all about feeding faith. I thought that was good. We're a faith being. I can't talk about this right now because I'm going to get horribly off track, but I, w I was so narrow in my focus before. I used to think that God gave us faith so that we could believe for thing the things of God. And I was like, okay, I get that, but that's, it's like, honestly, that's like pre-kindergarten. That's not what God's saying. That's not the purpose of faith. The purpose of faith is to def define who you are as a person. We become faith people. We become people who live from illumination. We become people who live from revelation. And what ends up happening is we get characterized because what informs us is the substance of God. It's called faith beings. And the thing about faith beings is this. We think that we're always in search of God's power. The fact of the matter is this. It's the other way around. God's power is actually in search of your faith. When you have faith, you attract God's power to you. When you live and act from faith, you draw the things of God to you. Circumstances and situations change because I'm defined by light. To be the light of the world is something which is so much more than telling people three steps to becoming a born-again believer. To be the light of the world is to be a faith giant who lives by attracting the promises, the goodness, the power of God into who I am and into the experiences that I have. That's where we become the light of the world. God called us to be people who live from light, not from understanding. So we have... the spirit of Christ inside of us. God invites us and strongly suggests that we start to live from a reality and a relationship with that. It's called walking in the spirit. It's really a lifestyle. What it's saying is, how do I allow the very presence of the spirit of Christ inside of me to have license to invade my being. And it all starts off with an attitude that is characterized by listening and obedience. I told you God's simple, but don't think it's easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. 
because it demands some stuff of us. And sometimes we don't want to give up some things to God. There's some areas of our life we just kind of want to hold on to. It's like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he left sad because Jesus was saying, I want to invade your life. And he said, you can have all of these things, but just don't touch this. And he said, but that's what I want. All of us are going to have areas of our life where that's what I want. And to some degree, the limitations that we have in terms of experiencing and demonstrating the fullness of who God is comes down to those areas. Because God is always willing, but the degree to which we put the blockades up determines the degree to which he fills and invades our life. We call to holiness. It's about an invitation to invasion. All parts of my being. All parts of my being. So we to walk, and the disposition that we do have is to listen and obey. To listen and obey. Now, there's an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians, um, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. What an interesting thing for him to say. Because God doesn't say in that context, you know what? Check for power. Go and look for to become a powerful being. He doesn't say, you know what, really, really, at the expense of everything else, pursue spiritual gifts. He sets a context up, which is really important. Because if we lose the context, we step out of the point. The context is this. Make love your aim. What it's saying is relationship is everything. Never lose context for that. In my desire to know him, in my, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commands. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about obedience. He's not talking about commandments in here's the 10 commandments. He's talking about, you know what? When you and I live in relationship and we're interacting with one another because he's dynamic and he's vital. What he's doing is he's always extending invitations to us. And he's like, will you do this? I tell you what, could you maybe just leave that aside? That's not going to be good for you. At a practical level, every single day, he's looking for us to live from that place. And what he's saying is what should be most predominant in our lives, what should give us focus, what should, what should be the driving force behind us is to know him and the power of his resurrection. I, I just want to know you more. Flood my life. And in that space, I begin to recognize, you know what? Nobody knows another person unless you encounter them. Telling somebody about somebody else is not the same as letting them encounter him. So I begin to recognize that because I love him so much and because he wants to show who he is to the world, I have to desire some stuff that lets, that lets him operate through me to touch them. So he says, I, I don't want you to go and tell people about who I am. Because you love me so much, desire what I will give to you so that you can take who I am 
and introduce people to an encounter with me. Because in the encounter, they get to touch my love and how much I care for them and how interested I am in them in a way that you'll never be able to communicate through words. So our primary driver is always relationship. But in that context, understanding our commission is to be light and life. We, we, we look for and we desire the gifts. Does that make sense? We need to have them, and it's important to desire them, because if you don't desire them, you don't get them. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You need to desire it. But it's just it's keeping in, in perspective what the priority is and what God is wanting to do in that space. The amazing thing about God is this. Wherever you are right now, and as comfortable as you are right now, God is always going to call you up to something higher. When you find yourself in the gym, he's going to call you up to rather than saying, good luck, whatever your name is, I wish you all the best with you and your doctor and your shots, to sit and say, you know what? I want you to pray for him. Why does he lift it higher? He lifts it higher because what he values more than anything else is relationship with you. And when you introduced to something that is beyond your ability, you recognize your need for him. And in that space, you can't travel solo. In that space, if he doesn't rock up, things don't happen. The reason that he raises the bar is because what it does is it always maintains relationship. I begin to move into that space and I begin to understand that the things that he's called me to do, I'm nothing but a vessel in that space. And in that place, I'm always moving to a place of depending on him. Little child, dad, what do you want to do here? Dad, how do you want to do it? Dad, dad, dad. Never get short of saying dad. Why? Because I'm living from relationship. Need hooks us into relationship. Need hooks us into relationship. In your own life, you can find some things where it's like, you know what? I, I, I can't get rid of this really bad behavior. It's just a part of who I am. Need. I'm struggling because getting up every single morning is so tough. I don't know what the point is. Everything's dark. Everything's bleak. I don't want people. Close the drapes and leave me in here for the day. If you're struggling with depression, need. Amen. I know a lady, and she's so fearful of heights, she can't cross a bridge in the car. She has to wait for somebody else to be able to drive her across the bridge. Fear, need. These aren't bad things. Everybody has them. You just have your own expression of them. But need is important because need puts us at a place where it can hook us into relationship. It's not just about going out and ministry, but it's about my life as well. Because in those spaces, I begin to recognize every time I need something, it is beyond the scope of my ability. And unless he comes into that place and does something, I travel solo. 
He loves the fact that we need things because it always invites us to go into partnership with him. Relationship is what he's all about. One of the biggest enemies to Christians is self-reliance. There are people who are great artists. God blessed them in incredible ways. They have phenomenal voices, great musicians, and you can go to their concert. And you know what the thing is? It's all traveling solo. Doesn't necessarily mean that the presence is there. Because when you're gifted, it's very easy to ride on your gift and not on the anointing. As Christians, the whole idea of, it's more difficult for a rich man. It, it's funny because I, I can't remember who I was telling this to, but the original Hebrew isn't, the, the original Hebrew word for camel and rope is the same thing. And when the Greeks rewrote that scripture, I don't know why they opted for the camel as opposed to the rope, because it makes more sense with the rope. But basically it is, it's, it's easier for a rich man to enter. Uh, what, what is this? What did I say? It's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for the, what? Okay. That thing. Then for a rope to go through the eye of a needle. What it's saying is this. It's not, it's the principle. It's not about money. The churches run off with dumb ideas about it's about money. It's about money. Money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. The principle that he's making is this. Anytime that you're self-sufficient, what ends up happening is I position myself at a place where I don't need relationship. I can do it. They're the most dangerous people. Why? Because what ends up happening is I live independently of God. God's all about relationship. If you are gifted in the most incredible ways, never lose your dependence. Always go back to relationship to sit and say, you know, I know I can do this, but you know what? I can do it much better with you. What does that look like? That's right. Why? Because he calls us and the invitation is always to be relational. Amen. We live from relationship. Mm -hmm. Anything that we can do is only ever going to touch the natural realm. Mm -hmm. The things that he's going to do through us goes a whole lot deeper. And it gets into the spiritual arena where it begins to touch and affect and change things. Right. What he's saying is this. The lifestyle that he's really inviting us into is a lifestyle where your weakness and your brokenness, all your deficiencies are actually the catalyst for realizing his power. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. So he loves it when we come to him and we sit and say, Dad, you know what? This is broken. Can you help me? It's hard for us because what ends up happening is it puts us in a place where we live and that what should define our relationship is vulnerability. And nobody likes to live from vulnerability. There is a natural predisposition that we have to be secure. I want to be secure in everything. I want to do it. I want to put myself in that place. I want to feel... The natural predisposition is to be secure. But his invitation is always to be vulnerable. Come on. So good. And so very often we, we struggle with the things of God because we don't like stepping into vulnerability because it's uncomfortable. Mm 
And yet that's where we'll find God. If we want to experience the things of God, I think what becomes really important for us, the key to experiencing it is to be obedient. To be obedient. When we're obedient and we hear what he says, what do we do with it? The thing with it is, if we make it a decision that I'm, I'm going to be obedient to God, it puts us at a place where we're prepared to take the leap. We, we're prepared to go out and, and I'm going to pray for John. But we're not always obedient. And so when we're not obedient, we miss the opportunity that God extends to us. I know, I'm a living example. So we learn things in that environment and we, we begin to understand the fact that what he invites us into is always going to put us at a place of vulnerability. The moment you say, whatever your name is, can I pray for you? You've just stepped beyond comfort and secure into vulnerability. Because in that place, if God doesn't show up, nothing happens. Nothing happens. What I've discovered for my own life is this. The more I become aware of and responsive to his voice, the more I'm obedient. The funny thing about it is, the clearer I seem to hear him. There seems to be a relationship and a correlation between obedience and clarity. If we ignore him, the voice becomes very dull. And you can speak to some people and they're like, I, I, I don't hear God. I haven't heard from him. Well, he's always talking. He's always talking. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. What he's saying is this. Get out of your brain, get out of your senses, get out of your hearing, your looking, your, get out of everything that's going to come from that because you're not going to re meet God in that arena. What he's saying is be still. What he's saying is drop down from your brain, the organ, into your spirit, your mind, because that's where you're going to engage him. Why? Because I'm hosting the spirit of Christ. I'm a temple. He put him inside me. He's communicating to my mind all the time. And as I learn to quiet myself, there's such silly things. And I, I, I know, I told you, I'm a slow learner and I'm a simple person. But it was like part of the reason that we come in, when you do praise and worship, close your eyes. Why? Because the problem with it is as long as your eyes are open, you're like, ooh, nice shoes, Rafa. That's not bad. <laughs> And check that hairstyle over there. And it's like, oh, that's a, oh, that's a nice outfit. What about that? Now look at the way that guy's playing up on stage. What, what's happened? I'm, I'm engaging all the time in the natural. My brain is working. I don't get to be still and know. I don't get to be still and know. When you close your eyes, it's a simple thing. It's like, I can't see Rafa's nice shoes. <laughs> When you close your eyes, what ends up happening is I'm closing off this realm. I'm being intentional about sitting saying, this is a meeting space between God and I. I know that as I'm intentional about entering into praise and worship, 
I want to engage him from spirit. And so I don't need any of this stuff. I want to drop down here. And in that space, I'm focused and I'm concentrated. I'm intentional. I'm desiring to meet with him. I'm listening for his voice and his interaction. I'm listening for what he has to say in that space. Because when he begins to speak, all of a sudden, I know he's there. It's not that he's not there always. Of course he is. But there's always a reaffirmation when he says something. And it's like, oh, that's good. Spirit beings, be still and know that I am God. One of the biggest challenges we have is fear of failure. Fortunately, I don't have that problem. (laughs) Fear of failure. Because I've stepped out and I'm sitting in vulnerability. I'm sitting in no man's land. And I began to realize until my desire to see the things of God are stronger than my fear of failure. It's hard for me to step out. To what degree do we desire to see him? To what degree is it burning inside of us? But as that grows, as it develops, as it builds, what ends up happening is, even if it's small steps, it's okay. But because the thing is, when you do something and you're obedient to him, you put yourself at a place where God honors obedience. God, if you love me, you will obey me. What is he saying? He's saying, I'll never leave you. I'm never going to put you in a place of vulnerability and not rock up for you. Let me just say something about this so that I can clarify this. When I say that, understand what he says. He says, I will always honor obedience. What he's saying is, I initiated it. Please hear that. It's really important. There are too many Christians who operate in presumption. What they do is they have a generic view of what the Bible says about stuff. And so then they have personal application. Because God says this, I'm going to go and do this. And thank you, Father, for your blessing on this. And he's like, I, I know I said I'm going to bless you. I wasn't going to do it that way. That wasn't my intention. That wasn't my will. I never stopped and said, hold on. I have relationship here. I'm not going to be rude and run off independently. Tell me, Holy Spirit, what did you want to do here? When I find his will and I'm obedient to the will, what he authors, he will fulfill. If I can't hear his voice and if I operate independently, that's why so many Christians throw the baby out with the bathwater. This faith stuff doesn't work. It does work, but it doesn't work to give you what you want. It works to support his will. The anointing rides on obedience. The anointing rides on what he says to say, uh, to, to do or say. If I didn't hear it from him and he, and he didn't author it, why does he have to pay for it? God in his goodness will do lots of things because I'm not always the smartest and I have a tendency to be impulsive 
and God will meet me in that place because his grace is more than sufficient for me. But that's not his will. His will is always, I want for you to understand that you're not just a temple, but you're a temple that hosts the presence. Get to know me. Be intentional about getting to know me. And when we live in the space, what ends up happening is the invitations will be there. And when the invitations are there, the opportunity exists for you to make yourself and position yourself in a place of vulnerability. Vulnerability is a place of excitement. Why? Because I heard what he wanted me to do. I acted on what he wanted me to do. And now I'm looking for him to fulfill what he called me to do. And it'll be there. It's interesting for me how so many concepts, for me, were very fragmented in my, my Christian um, education, for lack of a better term. And I think for me what, what's been really helpful is the fact that God's bringing cohesion between all of those things to show me how they actually all partner together and operate cohesively, and they're really nothing more than extensions and different expressions of relationship with them. But all of it goes back to that. All of it goes back to that. To be a person of faith is to be a person who lives in relationship with him. A person who knows how to listen and hear his voice. A person who's not looking for understanding, but a person who is looking for God to touch the very soul of my, the heart of my being. To charge my faith with something. I may not know how to understand it. I may not know how it's going to happen. But the thing about it is I have something on the inside of me which is an invitation from him that says, step out on it. Take that leap. Move into vulnerability. Put yourself in a place where you prepare to take yourself outside of the arena of where you're comfortable because you know that he's going to do it. I'm not sure that I fully agree with the idea that, you know, Faith is a scary place to be. I don't see that in scripture. If anything I see in scripture is that faith is a confident place to be. Faith is a place of knowing. Faith is a place of relationship. Faith is a place where you understand and you're entrenched in a, a, a committed relationship with who he is. And it's not because I wonder if it's going to happen. It's because I know it's going to happen. He put me here with purpose. So my invitation for this week is this. Get simple. Get, get simple. Understand, firstly, the fact that you're the temple. And as glorious and as wonderful as I might feel I am, but really the reason the temple exists is to host him. He is with you. Everywhere you go, he is with you. Everywhere you go, he is continually talking. He's not going to, you're not going to hear a voice. He's not there to describe the things of him. He's there to illuminate the things of him, which means he's not going to speak to your head. He's going to speak to your heart. The way that you're going to practically know him is as you're going along and you're doing some stuff and I'm focused on this and I'm looking at this and all of a sudden you have a divine interruption, a thought that just kind of comes careening in and hits you where you are. 
That's usually from him. Stop for a minute. Stop everything and be like, whoa. Okay, let's dialogue a little bit here, Holy Spirit. What's going on? Why? I'm honoring the intervention. See what he wants to do. I'm learning to listen. And I'm learning to obey. It's a lifestyle of walking in the Spirit. Allowing the life that's on the inside of me to infuse my entire being. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. It's going to make us feel vulnerable. And although vulnerability might initially be uncomfortable, vulnerability opens the door to meaningful relationship. And I believe that as we get down that path, vulnerability becomes a place that we actually look forward to because vulnerability becomes the place of engagement. These things become so important for us, as simple as they are, because God wants to use each of you in the most incredible way in the environments in which you find yourself. You seed planted in that world. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know who's in it. But he does. And none of it is accidental. The cry of the world today is to meet God. Not to hear about God, but to meet him. And I believe what he's doing is raising up a people who can introduce him. Not our thoughts, not our ideas, but him. Faith giants, people who live from a different paradigm, people who are spiritually charged and motivated, people who do things that are courageous and outrageous from the natural point of view. Because I don't really have to understand how it's going to happen. But the invitation was to do it. Start in the little things. He'll give you little stuff. He's not going to ask you to open the Red Sea. He'll, he'll give you some small stuff. He'll let you grow. He's relational. He's going to start teaching us in the small things, and then we're going to get bigger. There's some other things I was going to do, but it's... Let me, let me just pray for you. Why don't you just close your eyes and put your hands out. Father, I just want to thank you for the words that's been shared today. Holy Spirit, I pray for the seed of your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that that seed falls into good ground. I want to thank you, Father, that the purpose of the seed is an understanding, but the purpose of the seed is life. I pray for germination. I pray for bountiful harvest. I thank you, Father, for the making of peculiar people, godly people, spiritual people. I ask you this week for opportunities of vulnerability for every person. Put us in places of discomfort because you've invited us there. I want to thank you for your faithfulness, Father. I want to thank you for the anointing, Holy Spirit. And I want to thank you that as we move into those arenas, 
the opportunity presents itself to bring heaven to earth. Bless you for it now. In Jesus' name. Amen.